Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Sarah Blakemore. Whoa! Wait, what, what? That's different! Who <laughs> are you? What have you done with Sally? Noticed, I've hijacked her seat today. <laughs> I know. I noticed her hair was a little longer, but I couldn't see through the microphones there. Well, now I am seeing this in memo. She's off learning. <laughs> learning to bring back to the table. So Sally, we, we miss you. But Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Yeah, long time donation advocate. Awesome. Happy to have you, girl. You know what's coming up today? Yes. Um, Well, you're going to tell us about what we're talking about today, aren't we? (laughs) I like her. Already like her. That's right. (laughs) Number one coming up, we're talking about honor the gift, guys. Yeah, it's a campaign to protect the gift of life by removing Medicare's three-year limitations on anti-rejection reimbursements. Okay. And we're also going to go ahead and talk about the signs and symptoms of traumatic grief and how to support someone who has experienced it. All right. Lots to get to, right? Yes. But first, our goal is to get you sharing this, having those positive conversations about donation. You, you right there, you're part of our team. We need you to share what you hear here. Yes, and as always, we are easy to find once you find us, rate us, and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast app might be, or find us on our website, thegiftedlife.org. All right, Sarah, you're younger than Joey, at least, but uh, on social media? No, we're not. (laughs) Yeah, you can definitely find us on social media. We've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, look and for you're us. on social media. Um, I, is that how you guys uh, communicate these days? It is. I'm sliding into DMs <laughs> left and right over here. <laughs> there you go. On Facebook, we're the Gifted Life Podcast. Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Check us out. Help us spread the message. What we're trying to do is make life happen. You guys ready to get to it? Yep. Yeah. Here we go. All right, guys, here on The Gifted Life, we have an important topic to talk about with some very passionate folks who are, who are pushing this. It's called Honor the Gift, honorthegift.org, uh, which is where we're going to push you to get more information. But Monica Fox joins us now. Hi, Monica. Hi. Hi. Also on the phone, we have Dr. Matthew Cooper. Hey, doctor. Hi, everyone. All right. We appreciate you guys joining us. Monica, I'm going to start with you. Uh, We know that um, you received a kidney, the gift of life, back in 2016. Um, So tell us, um, if you could, uh, about your journey and where you are now. Yes. So I did receive the the wonderful gift of a kidney transplant uh, from a deceased donor. uh, Thanksgiving of 2016. It actually happened on the night before Thanksgiving. So it was the best Thanksgiving ever. Right, giving um, thanks. I can see that. Yes. And it actually is the gift that requires action. So just the mere thank you would never suffice. Mm-hmm. So it requires me to be active uh, and every day to do good works to show my gratitude for this second chance at life that I've been given. Monica, I love that. It requires action. Yes, it does. And so yes. what are you doing? Yes. What What's your action? So my action, uh, I, I started off volunteering with our local organ procurement organization. Actually, love that. I continued that because I did that all throughout uh, while I was waiting for a transplant. Um, and I have just gotten more and more into it to the point that now I'm working for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois as the community outreach manager. Oh, okay. Um, so I have just really used my voice as a 
as yes, I've used my voice as a patient with this experience to raise awareness for other patients who are following along the same journey, but maybe maybe behind me. Um, and there are just so many issues. Uh, really, transplant is relatively new, new medicine. You know, mm-hmm. within UNOS, the United uh, Network for Organ Sharing, is really only about 30 years old. And that's basically when the government came into it and, and regulated transplant. And I celebrated with my transplant center the 50th anniversary of transplant surgery uh, last summer. You know, we mm-hmm. did not do the first transplant, but, you know, so in the big scheme of medicine, it's not um, old science. Right. So there's a lot of awareness that is required. Um, medications are still developing and things like that. So there's there's lots of work to be done. All right. And Dr. Cooper, I'm going to bring you in the conversation. Monica brought up some some good points but you're the professor um, of surgery at Georgetown University School of Medicine. You're the director of kidney and pancreas transplantation at MedStar Georgetown Transplant Institute. So you know a lot of what she's talking about and the path that transplantation has traveled. Yeah, boy, after that uh, introduction, I really think the expert, uh, I'm, I'm going behind the expert. I mean, that was a <laughs> terrific introduction. You know, I've, I've been uh, really pleased and you know, uh, privileged to be in transplant for almost 20 years. And um, to the point, you know, there still is a lot of opportunity in transplant. We still have, you know, the numbers of people that are waiting, unfortunately, doesn't even fully appreciate the number of people that could benefit from transplant. You know, the wait list, you know, recognizes only those that have actually gotten access to transplant services. There still are, you know, many hundreds of thousands of people that probably could benefit from a life better than end-stage organ disease that, you know, we are still trying to work towards getting them access, getting them knowledge. You know, some of the other things that um, are probably unappreciated, you know, are the ability to uh, be both a deceased and living donor, misperceptions that if people actually sign their organ donor card on the back of their license that they you know, will not be cared for in mm-hmm. case of a, a tragic accident or emergency. Um, certain religions mistakenly uh, believe that organ donation is against, you know, their beliefs. And, you know, over and over we continue, you know, as stated, to try and sort of knock down those uh, barriers and try and, you know, correct misperceptions about, you know, how we can uh, increase the numbers of organs for transplant and, you know, and how we can bring the gift of life to more and more people. Uh, I the love our clinicians get in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the challenge we have is just the supply and the demand and, and trying everything we can to make sure that when someone is transplanted, we again don't put a barrier in front of them that potentially increases their risk of losing the organ, which is, of course, one of the important things that we want to talk about today is, yeah. you know, how it, it's it's a challenge right. for post-transplant patients to care for their organ in and of itself with the immune system. But then, you know, there still is a significant uh, financial responsibility after transplant. There still is a significant uh, expectation that the relationship between the patient and the uh, transplant center stay together. Uh, and work well together, but you know, again, we cannot make it more difficult for a successful transplant to remain successful, both for that recipient and for the donor families. It just is, again, sometimes senseless to think of the things that we challenge transplant recipients with. Right, and and so Monica, as Monica mentioned earlier, you know, transplant is relatively new in the grand scheme of things in medicine. Uh, and just to give a little historical perspective, uh, in 1972. Uh, Congress uh, made a commitment to cover the treatment for patients with end-stage renal disease 
uh, regardless of their age or disability status. And today, Medicare covers the cost for an uh, end-stage renal patient to receive a transplant, but then only covers their anti-rejection medicine for three years, 36 months. So uh, I guess obviously, and you're talking about the, 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 the issues and the barriers that we throw in there. So, uh, you know, and a lot of patients don't have the money themselves to then pick up that cost at that 36 month mark. So I can imagine, you know, that that, that would have to be a, a difficult thing to not get retransplanted. So then you guys started or have been part of the, the Honor the Gift campaign. So can you, uh, Dr. Cooper, tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so the, the honor of the gift was, again, to, to bring to appreciation, to bring to the public's recognition, you know, the fact that this you know, barrier exists for patients following transplant, i.e. The, the restriction on Medicare payments 36 months after transplants, and to, in some ways, shine a light on you know, the fact that there are many reasons why this current practice is not only foolhardy, but in the long run actually is costs more for the government to actually stop the payments and have patients go on to lose their grafts. Unfortunately, I want to minimize that, I'll lose their grafts and go back on dialysis. That if we were to you know, bring the, the powers that be together that uh, have the, the uh, ability to be able to look at this critically and potentially recognize that all transplant patients, not only because it's the right thing to do, but again, if we're going to just talk fiscal responsibility, should maintain Medicare coverage for their immunosuppressive medications for the rest of their life, that it ultimately saves the government money. Um, and so the, the campaign was purposely designed you know, to bring more people to that appreciation, to bring more people um, to the table, to express their, hopefully their displeasure with that rule as well. Um, it's really to empower transplant patients to be able to use their voice in conjunction with the, the general community, um, because we recognize that this is a, is a societal issue. And so the more people you know, who support this, more people that are behind it, I believe there's a better opportunity that we're going to get in front of the folks that can make the decisions and, and correct this wrong. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to ask Monica, from her perspective, the increase in anxiety and stress that you must have felt when you learned that your coverage wasn't going to be a lifelong coverage, that must have that must have been incredibly difficult for you to wrap your head around. Definitely. And I, I'm approaching that point. November of 2019 will be my three-year mark. And um, prior to getting a job where I do have insurance available to me, the thought of this insurance coverage ending uh, was daunting. And I mean, really, it still is because I have a friend who's in a situation right now where she was working and had insurance coverage through work. She's a seven-year transplant survivor, and she lost her job suddenly and then was found was caught in a position without insurance. And so she's having to struggle with that. Mm. Um, she was then put in a position where her unemployment insurance put her over the level to be able to receive state health insurance. Wow. So you can see how it gets to be very difficult. Yeah. You know, in my case, I can take on my insurance through work. However, my out-of-pocket expenses will be much higher. And I'm working for a nonprofit and love to work mm, for a nonprofit. Right. But, you know, that's not the highest paid positions in the world. 
So it definitely is something that is burdensome Mm -hmm. that I really believe that patients shouldn't have to struggle with. And when you really have the conversation, because I've been to D.C. and I've talked with legislators and some of their aid aides about this. And when you when you talk about the numbers, you say, well, you know, anti-rejection medicine costs nine thousand dollars a year. But dialysis costs about ninety thousand dollars a year. It doesn't make sense that they would take the risk that a person not be able to meet that need of paying for their medication and possibly end up back on dialysis. That's so much more costly to the government. And you you mentioned the numbers and it is startling, you know, to me and us, of course, when you when you think about it, we talk about barriers. We talk about a gift that someone, you know, gave you that second chance on Thanksgiving and then to have to basically have it self-limiting in so many situations. So, Dr. Cooper, you know, when she mentioned the numbers and 9,000 versus, you know, 90,000 a year, what are the biggest barriers that you believe uh, that you guys are facing? Why? It seems too common sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's not get like common sense get in the middle of this, right? Because <laughs> uh, right. again, that's really what it is. If you put those numbers in front of everyone, you know, people scratch their head from an economist standpoint. Yeah, if I, I do want to back up a little bit and recognize, you know, again, that we do over and over talk about transplantation being the gift of life. And sadly, I don't think we do recognize that word gift was purposely and, and I think very appropriately chosen. And you think about any other gift of your life that you are given from someone who cares about you, you, know, you would do, I would imagine, you know, everything you could to make sure that that gift was appreciated well-respected, and if there was an ability to pay it back, you would do that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the piece that sometimes I'm not certain always gets appreciated is in order for transplant to be successful, we have to recognize that this is oftentimes some of the most difficult uh, piece of an individual's life where they decide to donate you know, their loved one's organs or an individual risks their own life to go into an operating room to be a living donor. And if we aren't going to be able to appreciate and recognize the sacrifice, that gift that those individuals, again, so freely gave to someone else so that they could have a better life and not recognize that we need to treat that gift a whole lot better. And we do have this, the tools to be able to do that. We have, as we said, even though it's a, you know, a relatively new science, we've got pretty good medications that allow transplant to give people two, three, four times the lifespan that they would have otherwise if they didn't receive this transplant. And so we know it's there. We know that it's successful. And the problem is that the insurance with which people had prior to their transplant, and, and please don't misinterpret that. We look very carefully prior to transplant to try and avoid these things for patients so that we don't put them in financial disarray afterwards. But we can't anticipate three years later that people are going to find themselves in this situation. So we, we know that if Medicare continue to pay for them, these transplants would, would do just fine. And so again, the you know, the desire to kind of bring this finally, I hope finally, to its meaningful fruition and get as many people into the conversation about this, you know, it, it's still that, that head scratcher. So I, I, I can't give any better uh, rationale for the numbers because if you just simply look at the numbers, you know, they tell the story in and of themselves. So we know honorthegift.org, we're going to continue to push people there, but what's the ask, guys? So we hear you, we hear your plan, makes sense. So what now? What do we do? 
Well, we're asking Congress to honor the gift. We need for them to um, vote to extend Medicare coverage beyond the three-year period. I mean, dialysis is a treatment for patients with end-stage renal disease, and so is transplant. Transplant, however, is, is a treatment that gives a patient a much higher quality of life and allows us to be much more active within society and to give more. So it just makes sense that both treatments would at the very least be treated equally. Mm-hmm. So if dialysis is covered for a lifetime, right. then so should transplant. Uh, treatment B. The treatment is immunosuppressant medications once you've received that gift. So we're asking people in general to go to the Honor the Gift webpage, sign on, and, you know, and and be a part of this ask and let, and let their voice be heard along with my voice and those voices, all of those others who have already signed on to this really important message. So, Doctor, is the legislation written? Are we starting in in one state and we're just trying to get this support? We have lots of folks who listen um, who are students, who are clinicians, who have been impacted by by transplantation. And so I know that they're going to be asking, what about little old me? Can I help? Uh, What say you? I say every voice makes a difference. You know, the the additional ask, if we could be so bold, is to recognize that the congressman, I believe, you know, listen to their constituency. And so, you know, also contacting one's own congressman about the value of this transplant recipient, donor, family or not, you know, every voice that, you know, gets on to the attention of their, their congressman, I think has some value associated with it. Recognize this legislation, sadly, is not new legislation. It gets to the floor just about every year. Mm-hmm. It sometimes is stalled at various portions that, I guess, prevents it from its, you know, its final approval. Um, but it is already written, and it again is is you know um, you know in various stages you know through that the House and Congress to the House and the uh, and I think you know we have a better chance this year because Secretary Azar, who himself a uh, a family that has been affected by NC adrenal disease, sees this as a very personal issue, um, and I think believes you know that this is you know the right thing mm-hmm. for patients to do and for families uh, to be able to honor that gift, and so. Um, I think, again, this is our year. And I think, you know, the honor of the gift is just that. It's, you know, the ability to demonstrate that there are many, many, many people, you know, who are very much interested in seeing this legislation finally passed um, so that, again, we can provide what is, you know, an absolute mm-hmm. necessary resource for transplant recipients. And, and, heck, it's just the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how much more you have to say. It's just yeah. the right thing to yeah. do. Yeah. You guys are great advocates um, for this cause, honorthegift.org. I'm going to put that out again. Um, and we do want to continue to follow your journey as you cross these hurdles. We'd love for you to come back. We appreciate you uh, reaching out to The Gifted Life. And, and Monica, um, you, you seem passionate and you seem like you're, you're feeling strong. And, and I know you're going to be out there fighting for this. Yes, definitely. This, is, this fight is very personal to me, as is every fight along this journey. So I'm definitely... Um, I believe um, what Dr. Cooper said, that this is our year. It's going to happen this year because it is the right thing to do. And I have to believe that, you know, people are going to do the right thing. The congressman, 
the senators, they're going to they're going to vote the right way this time. All right, Monica, we certainly um, appreciate you. And we are going to continue to follow your story. Dr. Matthew Cooper as well. Thank you so much. I want to put this out there again. Honorthegift.org. Visit that site. Check it out. Um, and hopefully we've inspired you to take some form of action. Also on Facebook and Twitter, it's Honor the Gift. More of The Gifted Life to come. All right, here on The Gifted Life, it's time to learn from Sally. But, oh. but Sally's not here. It's not Sally. What it's will Sarah. we do? Oh, say, hey, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> I love me some Sarah, yep. but I will always see Sarah as college Sarah. Mm-hmm. Still yep. cute. You still look like from way back then. Yeah, but I met her at LSU. She was a, a student, uh, beautiful inside and out, obviously passionate, obviously a, a donation advocate. And now she's here. And at now Lobo. she's here. And yeah. I heard her, her about her shortly after. Uh-huh. Because, uh, of course, now she's a social worker. She got her degree there. And then, I helped her, right? Yes. yes. Okay, great. And then, and then here's Lori coming. Hey, you've got to hire this girl. She's so good. She's so awesome. <laughs> I hope so, I live up right. to it. So now we're putting her to work. And then, so do I get a promotion? Or, or <laughs> we'll have to talk to Kirsten she's about so that. great. A bonus. <laughs> so we appreciate Now you are tied um, to donation, right? Yes. So um, I, my brother was an organ donor. And so that's how I learned about organ donation and immediately knew that this was going to be my path in life, that I was going to be an advocate for it. Yeah. And so um, at LSU, uh, we do media interviews and we needed a media darling, someone who could come and and talk about this, somebody who's been impacted. And she would never tell me no, which is why I just loved her because she was so passionate about it. She was busy and had the college courses and and work, but she really wanted to do it. And I think it it worked out. And we're so happy that you're here. Um, And and so the perfect person to help guide us through this next conversation, we're talking about traumatic grief. Um, And I guess my first question is, how is that different from regular grief? Right. So um, traumatic grief is one of these new branches that we're starting to learn about. Essentially what it is, is when grief is experienced traumatically. Now, that can mean a couple different things. It could mean that you yourself already have a trauma history and have experienced a loss. It can mean that the death that you've experienced was a trauma from a trauma. Or it can be your closeness to the loved one who you have lost. It can complicate your grief in a traumatic way, which can show in signs of symptoms of trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we like to say a lot, you know, grief is carried. So imagine you're carrying a big box and it's heavy. What does trauma do is say you lose an arm and you have to carry that same heavy box, but now with one arm and it's mm-hmm. now complicated and it's traumatic and the way you view the world has changed right. and the way you've experienced the world has changed mm-hmm. and that's trauma. Mm-hmm. So um, what we like to talk about is, you know, what it can look like is feelings of unreality, anger, hypervigilance. Of course, there's some survivor's guilt in that. And essentially what it is, if you know grief and you know trauma, when you bring Mm -hmm. them together, it just complicates things. And so it's important to educate ourselves and educate yourself on what that can look like. Yeah. And I think uh, all of us know someone who's probably walked that path. So I guess uh, my next thing for you is how do you support someone or yourself. Right. So um, the first thing we say, you know, when it comes to grief and trauma is first and foremost, listen, lead with those listening ears. I think it's, you know, especially in our society right now, we tend to listen to respond. And I think it's really important to transition to listen to hear. 
and to just say, I'm here for you. I've got your back and you're loved and cared for. Now to support yourself is to educate yourself and to know that you are worthy of being heard. You know, I think it's also true that a lot of people, we don't like to burden others. We don't want to make them feel upset or sad, but you have people around you who are supporting you and let them listen to you. Let yourself be heard and know that you're worthy of that. That's, that's such a, a, a true and difficult task sometimes for right. us because, right. you know, so often you're right. We do listen to respond mm-hmm. and, and to listen just to hear and be there and support is, is so important. It's something that obviously we can all take a little bit from. So how, right. where, where would I find, are there resources out there, either on the internet or books or things like that? Right. So there's so many resources out there where we can educate ourselves and learn about um, our processes. There's tons of books. An amazing resource for um, mental health is the website SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov. And there's podcasts. You can listen to people with personal stories about their loss and their trauma. But I think what's really important when you're going in the route of um, healing is to get resources that are backed by licensed mental health professionals who have a concentration and experience in trauma and grief because they're going to be the true experts in how to grow and heal mm-hmm. in your processes. Hey, Miss Sarah, we appreciate that info. We all learned a lot. Uh, you have something you want us to cover in this segment? Info at thegiftedlife.org. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Milton Powell. We learn more about Milton from his recipient, Monica. Milton was a wonderful person. I've learned about him through his mother. She shares that he was a gregarious character who never missed a holiday of visiting with her and loved sweet treats, especially the ones that she homemade. Thanks to Milton, I have inherited a terrible sweet tooth. (laughs) So every time I think of something, having something sweet, I think of Milton, my hero. Um, His family is, they are just pleased to know that he is giving me life and that I am doing good things with it. And he also saved two other lives through organ donation, as well as enhanced countless other lives through tissue donation. And now we pause and say thank you to Milton for the gift of life. In our question and answer segment today, I'm going to shoot this over to you, Joe. Why does one need immunosuppressants after transplantation? We've been talking about that today. So our bodies have immune systems in place so that they protect us against things like uh, germs, poisons, cancer cells, basically harmful substances. Well, these harmful substances have proteins on them that are called antigens. And of course, when someone receives an organ from someone else, those organs also have these antigens, have antigens on them that the body sees foreign. So the body thinks, well, this must be harmful to me. So in general, the body's going to go ahead and, and start rejecting, start attacking the organ until the, the, ultimately the organ fails. So these immunosuppressants essentially protect They give you a little bit of suppression in that activity, that antigen antibody activity, so that the organ is protected uh, over that 
you know, the course of the person's lifetime. Sometimes immunosuppressants need a change uh, because your body changes, your immune system changes. Uh, so sometimes you need a little more, sometimes you need a little less uh, immunosuppressant therapy. But in general, it's something that we all need for a lifetime after an organ transplant. Wow, that was a great question. So interesting. Do you have questions? Reach out to us. You can find us on social media, email. You can call us at 504-648-3477, and we might be able to play your message or answer your questions on the podcast. And that'll do it for this episode of The Gifted Life. And I wanted to tell you guys, this episode came together because of an email So we're always asking you, share what you want to hear. We're a team here, and that's how this came together. So we appreciate uh, the team effort there. Yeah, we thank— powerful. Yes, it was. We thank uh, Dr. Matthew Cooper and Monica Fox for sharing their story and especially for taking the initiative with the Honor the Gift campaign. We certainly hope that some reform takes place this year. Yeah, we're going to continue to follow that and hopefully have updates here on The Gifted Life. Um, And we want to hear from you guys. Um, so please do that info at thegiftedlife.org. And Sally wasn't here. We miss yep. you, Sally. We know you're listening. Uh, and we love Miss Sarah. Yeah. Thanks for being Great here. Job, Thank you. Sarah. I enjoyed myself. Wasn't too painful? No, <laughs> some big shoes to follow, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. Well, you did great. Awesome. We love and we love that you work to make life happen. Um, hopefully you heard something here on the podcast that inspires you to take action. Registerme.org if you're not already a registered organ tissue and eye donor. Um, but at the end of the day, our ask is that you do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. It's a team effort. Thanks so much for listening. Until the next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sally Gentry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Perez.